It's good to see all of you, and we're going to hear from God through His Word this morning. So we're in the second week of our series that's based on the book of 1 Peter. And through this book, our theme we're going to look at throughout this series is how to find hope in the midst of suffering and hardship. And this morning, I am going to have Linda read the verses for us from 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 9. Listen to the word of the Lord. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes and even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks be to God. Before we dig into these verses, let me pray for us so that we may prepare for this time. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, your presence here this morning and your given word. May we receive the transformation that comes by hearing and obeying your word. So as I always pray, may we uh, hear, see, know, and feel what, is, what you want us to do this day. So I thank you, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever had a time in your life when you really needed some encouragement? Maybe a pep talk? A time where you heard some consoling, some soothing words that it's okay, that you'll make it through? Looking through this room, I know some of you are going through issues in life which require some of that kind of attention. And I know if you're um, a student here, I know it's what, the end of the quarter, end of the semester, and a lot of you are preparing for finals. And finals is a time when there's a lot of stress. I know I've been there. And although it goes through only maybe a short period of time, it is a difficult time. And this past week, my son, who's uh, finishing his first year at law school, is going through his finals. And so it's, I know it's a real stressful time for him. If I follow him on his social media, he, he kind of posts things about him being under stress. So I sent him an email just to encourage him, you know, to, to tell him that I'm praying for him, that I am uh, knowing what he's going through, and just to tell him to stay focused because, you know, when you're under stress, when you're going through hardships, there's always distractions in the world. But whenever you're going through a time of stressfulness or challenge, those distractions become even more bigger in front of you. So I told him to stay focused. This time will pass. And years from now, it's only a little blip in your whole life. But when you're going through those trials and those kind of tests in life, you don't really feel that. You don't really know that because in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a test or trial, 
or you're experiencing a lot of, is a lot of pain and suffering. But those times is critical for sometimes to hear an encouraging word. And that's what the Apostle Peter is doing for the early church in 1 Peter. He's giving a pep talk, a rally cry, just to get people to focus away from the suffering that they're enduring. And they are going through suffering. As we've mentioned, probably Pastor Andrew said this last week, about how the early Christians were going through some difficulties. They were being persecuted. A lot of them, for choosing to follow Jesus, were leaving, if they were Jewish, were leaving their Jewish faith to become Christians. And by doing that, a lot of their families were disowning them because they were changing their faith. And then because they were choosing to follow Jesus, during those times, the Roman government, which was occupying the Jewish nation, the Romans were not happy because they were not devoting their allegiance to, to Caesar, but following Jesus. So in that case, they were looked at as being disloyal. And so they were being persecuted for, for their faith. So it's a trying time for the early Christians. And so Peter is giving them a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of a rally cry, a pep talk, just as those of you who are in sports, coaches do that. If you're in education, your teachers do that. And even, as I shared, parents do that to their children. So today, we're going to look at 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, verses, uh, in chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, in the first verse, in verse 6, we see that Peter encourages the early Christians, and in some ways encouraging us, those of us in this room, and I'm sure in this room many of you are going through some sort of trial, some sort of test. And he's saying this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is saying, rejoice in spite of life realities. You know, it's, if we're all honest, life is not just one smooth ride. It's more like a roller coaster. And those times when we are down in the valley, they will come. It's not whether they're going to come. They will come. We all have them. And Peter is saying, rejoice in spite of those life realities. Now, Peter here is doing something that is really wise as a, a good pastor, a good shepherd, a good counselor. Because when, when you're going in the midst of some trials and tribulations, don't you kind of hate it when someone comes and says, it's all good, it's going to be over soon, it's only a short period. When you're in the midst of suffering, sometimes you just don't want to hear that, right? You want to first hear someone acknowledge that you're feeling bad. And so Peter does that. He does the wise thing by saying, yeah, you are going through some hardships. You are going through some trials. And not ignore it or be in denial of it. So he acknowledges that. And that's an important principle that a lot of you have heard before, that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So Peter is saying, yeah, you are going through suffering. You are going through some kinds of grief. And that's a a good thing to do if you're going to approach somebody with some pep talk to acknowledge the pain that they're going through. And that's important. But then Peter begins then to tell them this truth. He says, in all this, rejoice. In all this, rejoice. In all this, what is he referring to? 
if it refers directly back to what he said in verses 3 to 5, which was covered last week by Pastor Andrew. So a little quiz. Do any of you remember how Pastor Andrew summarized verses 3 to 5 last week? That's not good, Pastor Andrew. (laughs) Remember that Andrew said that to summarize verses 3 to 5, it is that your best life is not now, but later. Right? To summarize those three verses, prior to in all this, what Peter is referring to is that your best life is not now, in the midst of all this suffering, but later. So what Peter was saying in verses 3 to 5, he's talking about what Jesus did on the cross, that Jesus died and he was resurrected. And because of that, we have a living hope through him. And that when we get to heaven, there's an inheritance, an unperishable gift, an inheritance that's waiting for us. Now, I want to make a note that that's a little ironic, right? That in some ways that, that there's an inheritance waiting for us. Uh, because you really dig deep into that. When do you usually get an inheritance? When someone dies, right? So usually it's a family member or maybe a good friend. If you're that good a friend, they'll, when they pass away, they leave you an inheritance. But Peter is saying that when you get to heaven, you have an inheritance. And the only way I know that you can get to heaven is that you got to die. So that means different from a normal understanding where you get an inheritance here on earth, as a Christian, you get an inheritance when you die. And that's basically implying that the life here is only a short, meaningless kind of time. That there is something more precious that's waiting for you once you die. So when all this troubles and suffering on earth ends, God has a big prize for you in heaven. And that being your salvation or eternal life through Jesus Christ. In verse 7, we not only learn that, that, that there is a prize that comes through Jesus Christ, that there is an inheritance waiting for us, and that we are to rejoice in that in the midst of our troubles and sorrows. But he says that there is a, Peter says there's a purpose for this kind of testing or trials. In verse 7, proven faith brings praise to God. In verse 7 it says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In this translation, in the NIV, they use the word proven. In, In other translations like ESV, it uses the word tested. So proven, tested, the genuineness of your faith. And it's kind of ironic that, that, that Peter is talking about faith that is real, that it has to be tested to, get, to, to demonstrate that whether it's real or fake. Because if you recall in Peter's life, do you remember what he did when Jesus was arrested and Peter was one of his, his uh, posse, one of his gang, followed him up for three years, 
But when Jesus was arrested and Peter was confronted by people and saying, weren't you with that guy that just got arrested? And Peter denied him three times. So Peter, when his faith was being tested, he failed. So it kind of lends to you that there is some hope for some of us who have failed. That even if Peter failed and denied Jesus three times, that Peter was still forgiven by Jesus and Jesus still used him in a mighty way. And then years later, Peter writes about this, about faith being tested and proven to be genuine. Now, we are kind of familiar in our, in our lives, in our world, about things getting tested, right? So I think I have a couple of symbols that I want to show you. Uh, if you can flash them up there. The first one, yeah, it's USDA Choice Beef. USDA, United States Department of Agriculture. So they test, they grade, they inspect meat, in particular here, beef. And once it meets a certain standard, they give the stamp of approval. That's testing. Another symbol, UL. Some of you are familiar with that. It's Underwriters Laboratories. It's an organization that tests electronic devices to make sure that they meet a certain safety code, uh, standard quality, and you'll see them on all of our devices, UL. And so they kind of put their stamp of approval. So it's, again, testing the genuineness of the item that's, that they have their mark on. In many ways, our faith is being tested, too, to make sure it is genuine. And Peter is telling us that these trials and hardships are important to make sure that that the faith that we have is real. And Peter is not, and this is an important point I want us all to, re, to, to, to remember, is not talking about quantity of faith or quality of faith. Okay, those are different things. What we're just talking about here, because that's the easiest thing to do, especially if we're performance-oriented, you're thinking of quality and quantity. Do I have enough faith? Do I have a really good faith? That's not what's being dealt here. It's just whether or not you have faith or not have faith. The genuineness of having a real faith. And that's an important distinction. And, 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 and the way I can kind of illustrate this is, is like the airbags in your car. You know it's there, right? But how do you know it's there? When you're driving along, you look at your steering wheel, there's a... On the center of the steering wheel, there's that label that says airbag. But how do you know there's actually an airbag in there, right? You can't really test it because once it explodes and comes out, it's useless after that. But that's kind of like how faith is, right? Until it's tested, until you're in actually crash or an emergency and that airbag comes out, then you got an airbag, right? That's how you know for sure. And that's the same way with faith. You don't really know if you have faith until it's tested, until it's proven in, in action. And, and, and it's easy, actually, it, it doesn't mean anything when you say, I have faith when you're in good times. Anybody can say, oh, I have great faith when, it, when you're riding high and everything's going smoothly. It's a different thing to say you have faith when you're at the bottom of the pit, down in the valley. And when you say you have faith, that's when it's genuine. And that's what Peter is saying, that trials and suffering and hardships is the way that 
that your faith can be demonstrated, be true and genuine. So that's one of the purposes of, of why God allows suffering, why he allows hardships. It's not something that God wishes upon anyone, but he allows it so that faith can be demonstrated. And the, that's one reason. And the second one, it's the second purpose that, that Peter talks about why hardships and trials are allowed because it brings praise glory and honor to God. That's another purpose why hardships, suffering is allowed. The reason is people are watching you. Whether they're believers or unbelievers, whether they're churched or unchurched, people are watching us. And how we behave in the good times and the bad times, they take note of that. They're looking to see if your faith is genuine, that you walk the talk. It's very easy to talk about Jesus and about your faith when things are going smoothly. But people are watching to see, is it the same when they put a gun to your head, put a knife to your throat, or put a fire under your feet, if you're going to have that same kind of faith. And sometimes the trials in life will do that. It'll feel like you're going to die. And at those moments... Who are you going to turn to? What are you going to express? And it is those times during trials and tribulations, if your faith is exhibited, people do notice that. This has been a season where uh, I've been going to and experiencing and officiating a lot of memorial services. And one thing about being a Christian is that we have a perspective that gives us peace and comfort about the whole issue of death. And one uh, memorial service I did uh, a couple months ago for one of our members in the church, her family, uh, many of her siblings are not, not, not Christians. They're not believers. And so when I walked on the day of the memorial service uh, into the chapel, uh, one of the siblings said, wow, Pastor Calvin, you, you're so calm. You're so, so um, at peace. And I said, well, it's because I know through my faith that God is with me and that I have a hope that overcomes death. And so what I'm kind of demonstrating in a sense that people are watching us. So where usually at memorial services, a lot of people Christians the same are very anxious. They're very nervous. They're grieving. They're sad. But when you walk in and demonstrate something different, people will notice. And the purpose of that is then they will ask questions. And it is in those questions you have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus and the faith you have. And what Peter says, those are the opportunities that can lead to one day Others can bring praise, glory, and honor to God. Now, talking about faith, what is it? You know, as Christians, we use a lot of words, right? We use the word grace. We talk about salvation. We talk about sanctification. And here, I use the word faith. And how we understand it truly means kind of directs how we live our life. 
and I, unfortunately, I think a lot of us misunderstand some of these terms and, and, and then, as a result, have some baggage in how we live out our Christian faith. So what is faith? I heard a message by a pastor down in San Diego named Gerald Hurd, and he says this, that some people think faith is a temperament, meaning it's, it's your personality type that can give you faith. Uh, if you're kind of an optimist, you will see things in, the, in a nice, rosy, cherry way. And if you're cynical, you'll look at things always, well, what's the next bad thing to do? So depending on your personality type, right, if you were to look at this glass of water, you've heard the term, right, the phrase, if you're optimistic, you would look at this, this is a glass that's half full. But if you're cynical like me, I look at this glass and say, wow, that's a glass that's half empty. But depending on your personality type, is that truly what dictates if you have faith or not? I don't think so. Some people think that faith is an emotion, that, that how I feel gives me faith, that if you're an emotional person, a touchy-feely person, then you, then you get overwhelmed by certain things, and you'll, people think you have more faith because of that. You get excited about certain things. But I'm not an emotional kind of guy. I'm actually really... Uh, Lacking in emotion, if you talk to my wife. <laughs> I'm, my nickname when I was growing up, uh, especially in sports, I was nicknamed Iceman because I was cold and cruel. <laughs> and, and, but that, it was kind of characteristic of what? I did not show emotion on the court, but I will kill you on the court. <laughs> <laughs> but some people think that faith is like that. That's an emotion, but it isn't. And some people think that it's, it's a temperament or it's emotion. And some people think that, that faith is actually a talent. That's an ability. It's a gift. But that's something wrong with that uh, understanding of, of, of faith. If it's a talent, that means it's dependent on us. That it's my skill set that gives me faith. But I want to tell you, faith has nothing to do with us. It's not dependent on us. It's not a temperament. It's not an emotion. It's not a talent. So what is it? Peter well kind of tells us this in verse 8, what, what faith is. And in verse 8, it reads this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. What faith is, it's love plus believe in. Faith is love plus, plus believe in. Those two characteristics, love and believe in, are what make up what faith is. Some define faith as, as a belief in something or someone that you cannot see. Right? It's believing in something you cannot see. And that's what faith is all about. And Peter says this twice in verse 8, right? He says, though you have not seen him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. He says it twice, so it must be significant. And that him is referring to Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's what faith is about. It's believing in something that we cannot see, but we know that is there. And these two attributes of faith in, is love, to love Jesus and believe in Jesus. And when we read that scripture verse, right, which says, um, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. When we look at those verses, you believe in him. It's easy to kind of ride through that, to just focus on the word believe. And that's a lot of times, uh, and it's a misunderstanding that all we have to do is believe. But that's not the meaning of that phrase, believe in him. But one single small word, two-letter word, in, makes a big difference in understanding believe. Because if you're just focusing on believe, it's the concept of uh, believing or trusting in a fact or a truth. But that single word, that two-letter word in, believe in, translates that little phrase, believe in, to trust. It turns it from a factual statement to a relational statement. It's talking about when you believe in someone, it means you trust him or her. Just with that small little word, in. So when we're talking about that faith, like love is relational, believe in or trust is relational, that faith is relational. And it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we look at relationships, relationships is walking day by day with someone. It's a journey of a lifetime. And that's what faith is. Faith is not a temperament. It's not an emotion. It's not a talent. It's a relationship. It's a lifelong journey with Jesus. Now, I want to address something here because um, for some of you, and it's not unusual, a lot of times we talk to people as pastors, we talk to people and they say, I don't, they, they say, I, I don't have any faith. I just don't have any faith because I have a lot of doubt. I have a lot of questions. So what I want to say here is that faith is, is not, uh, does not have doubt. It's okay to have doubt. They're not mutually exclusive. Actually, having doubt is a good thing. It means that you're alive, that you're struggling, that you are asking questions. And that's a good thing. We all do. That's why it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a defined point. Faith is a working document, so to speak. It's ongoing. Just like courage is defined this way, right? Courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the willingness to move forward in spite of the fear. And that's how faith is. It's very similar. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's in spite of the doubts that you choose and willingly trust and love. I'm dressed this way because a couple in our church is going to get married this way, uh, this, this afternoon. So... Um, I don't usually dress in a, in a suit and a tie. But just like marriage, right? When a couple decides to get married, they still have doubts. You don't know if that person is the perfect person 
100% sure. And you ask any couple, they go through those kind of things before they get engaged and decide to get married. There will always be some doubt. But in spite of the doubt, they are willing then to make that commitment to live their lives together to death do you part, ideally. But the doubt's still there. And, if you, and there are questions. But you are willing, by faith, to take that step of risk, to make a commitment, to journey along in life with that person. And that's marriage. But that's the same thing that goes with, with, with um, our faith. And if our faith is a journey, the end result of our journey, of our faith journey, is salvation. And that's what Peter says in verse 9. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so if we look in verse 9, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And if I've kind of worked our way through here that if faith is a journey, and we just put that word to substitute for faith, it will read, for you are receiving the end result of your journey, the salvation of your souls. And I refer back to what Pastor Andrew covered last week in verse 4 of this chapter. Peter talks about the end result of our journey is this inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. And that is something that we are to uh, rejoice and celebrate about. That that inheritance that we come, that comes through what Jesus did on the cross is a great gift, and that is eternal life. But it only comes when times here end. So even though you may be having good times, maybe you have bad times, that inheritance that is unperishable, that is undestroyed by fire like gold may be, it's still there, and it only can be there when our time here on earth ends. And that's something that, that we should be rejoicing and celebrating and remembering and be reminded of, especially when we are going through difficult times. And, and, and I want to kind of finish up here by, by wanting to emphasize something about, about faith, especially when we're talking about faith being proven or faith being tested. Because um, I don't know about you, uh, especially probably addressing some of the students here. Uh, when you go through a test, it's anxious, right? They're not, they're not meant to be easy, especially when you get into uh, certain levels of education. They're not meant to be easy. They're actually purposely there to make you fail because that's the way the world is. They just want to separate. And so tests can be hard. And so a lot of you get anxious, I get anxious getting tests. I get, when you go to get lab tests done for your health, I'm always a little anxious when you get the results back, right? I just had a, what are those, colon tests? And you're waiting, and it says, oh, negative. And you go, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. But anytime you get a test, there's an anxiousness that you, that, you, that you go through in facing those tests. But what I want to remind us all that especially those of us who are performance-oriented, task-oriented, one who are high achievers, 
just to realize that the test that Peter is talking about is not ones about testing quality or quantity. It's just whether or not you have it or not. So just a little drop of faith is good enough. We're not talking about how good it is or how much you have. Because when we get caught up in doing that, then we get into this guilt trip, whether it's from ourselves or from others, that my faith wasn't strong enough because um, the outcome was still bad. You didn't pray enough because your faith was not good enough or not uh, in, in abundance. We, lo- we, we just lose this whole thing about grace and mercy that's been given to us when we start looking at that, that our faith is like a test, that it's performance-oriented. It isn't. You have to realize something, and this is the mature Christian perspective, that life is going to be full of trials and hardships. And just because you're tested and that you have faith, it doesn't mean the outcome will be nice and rosy. You could still essentially die. You could still fail. But in a Christian perspective, that's okay. It isn't all about success. And that's what the world tells us. It's all about success. But the Christian faith is different. Success, failure, doesn't matter. Failure is actually a good thing because faith is demonstrated. And then others can see how you are different from the world who is success-driven. That failure, how you behave during failure, because of your faith, makes a difference. And if we understand that our life here on earth is only temporal, that in heaven there is inheritance waiting for us, it should change our perspective in how we behave here. That success or failure doesn't matter. We rejoice in the fact that we have inheritance. And that's what Peter is trying to remind the early Christians, in some sense reminding us. Failure, that's okay. Success, better. But regardless, things don't change. And that's important because that, if you had that kind of attitude, then there would be some peace some comfort as you go through life with those hardships because they will come. It's not if you have them, it's when they come. You'll know how to deal with it in a way that God, and Jesus in particular, wants you to. When we look at a faith when it's a test on us, then we look at faith as something that, that we're responsible for. It's not about us. It's not dependent on us. If our faith is dependent on our faith, we're in trouble. Our faith is not on us. Our faith is in the source of our faith. And the source of our faith is Jesus Christ. I have this chair here. And I'm going to use this as kind of a metaphor, parable, analogy, whatever. This chair, I could tell you this is an amazing chair. It was manufactured, fabricated by the most reputable chairmaker. And I could gush over this chair. I could love this chair. I could, you know, just cherish it. But even though I can love it really, 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 really a lot, if I sit on this chair and it collapses, then all my love that I, that I gave to this chair is 
is worthless. And in the same way, I could believe in this chair. I could trust this chair. I could trust that I sit on this chair and it will support me. But if that chair collapses, then all the trust that I, I put in this chair was worthless too. A waste of time. But when I think about my faith, that's the same thing. Is that if I love and I trust Jesus, and when I sit in a chair that represents Jesus, and it doesn't collapse, and in, in my understanding and stories from others, the chair does not collapse because Jesus doesn't collapse. Our faith is tested and proven, not because of what we do. It's tested and proven because of what Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross and passed the test for all of us. What he did on the cross to die, to release, to, to die for us for that our sins could be released through his blood, but more importantly, his resurrection gives us the hope that we have. And that's what our faith is. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in the source of our faith, and that being Jesus Christ. And that's an important thing to remember. Some of you in this room are, are probably just walking around the chair. And I want to address that, that. Some of you have a lot of questions. You're maybe a little skeptical, cynical. That's okay. I told you, faith is not the absence of, of some doubts and having questions. So I'm encouraging you, if you have questions, you have doubts, and you're not ready to sit in the chair of Jesus, that's okay. Keep asking those questions. I encourage you, maybe join one of our home groups and go through First Peter. Learn from what the Bible talks about Jesus and the faith that we have. Keep asking those questions. As I said, it just means that you're alive, that your faith is growing. It's a journey. Now, some of you are ready to sit in a chair, to make that commitment. And if you are, one way to demonstrate that is through baptism. A couple of weeks ago, some of you saw a couple of baptisms. But if you're ready to sit in that chair to love and trust in Jesus, then talk to one of the pastors. We'll love to talk to you and talk to you about what it means to make that commitment. Some of you have been sitting in that chair for a long time in this room. And that chair has become very, very comfortable. Well, my challenge to you, if you're in that state, maybe it's time to exercise your faith a little bit. Maybe it's an opportunity to go on a short-term mission this summer. And that's the one way to get you out of your comfort zone, to risk, to step out in faith. And so maybe by expressing your faith on a short-term mission, like Peter says, an opportunity to bring praise, glory, and honor to God. One of the ways we can demonstrate our faith is through the obedience of things that Jesus told us to do. And today, as a church family, we get to celebrate communion together. And uh, step down here. It's interesting that Jesus told us to remember him not through his birth, but he told us to remember him in his death. And we are to obediently continue to celebrate this until the day he returns. 
And Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he was having a very intimate meal with his disciples. And during that meal, while they were eating, uh, he took bread and he broke it. And he told them, after giving thanks, that this bread, eat of it in remembrance of me. This is my body. And then later during the meal, he took uh, a cup of wine and he said, this is the new covenant, covenant in my blood, so drink of it in remembrance of me. Here at Christian Layman, we practice what is called open communion, so you don't have to be baptized or be a member of our church to come to the table to partake of communion, but all that we uh, encourage you to come forward if you've made that decision to believe in him, love him, to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you've done that, you can come and enjoy at the Lord's table. When you come, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and eat it at your own timing and pleasure. So let me prepare for our time to come before the Lord at his table to remember what he did on a cross for us. Heavenly Father, I, I come now to, to ask for your blessing on this moment where we obediently uh, follow Jesus' command to remember him uh, through uh, Holy Communion. We ask that you bless each individual as they come forward, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, that this is an opportunity to rededicate themselves to what, as in response to, the, to what Jesus did on the cross that going to the cross and passing the test, a very hard test, the ultimate test, the ultimate sacrifice, so that we may be reconciled to you, that our sins are washed away through his blood, so that we may have that inheritance in heaven that is waiting for all of us, that calls Jesus our Lord. We thank you, Lord. Bless each individual as they come forward. In Jesus' name, amen.